Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. How many know this morning there isn't a short of, of people who want to give advice to you? Come on. I mean, there's, there's no shortage of people that want to give advice to you. It could be your in-laws. Hello, come on. They want to give advice. But you can go on Facebook and the person that you never know that you friended one time back five years ago all of a sudden is trying to give you advice. And they're sitting in their underwear eating Cheetos behind a computer trying to give you advice. I think it's so interesting when people give advice, oftentimes they don't even follow their own advice. Right? I mean, it's just, it's so interesting to me that the people who often give advice don't even follow their own. And I've I've heard it said before that advice given is rarely advice asked for. That those people just come up and they just give you advice. Well, you know, if you did this, this would really work better for you. Hey, if you did your hair like this, it might fit your face a little bit better. And you just look at them with your eye roll like, okay. I, I love the, the quote that says, free advice is often overpriced. <laughs> and that's true. But my favorite one of all time is people give advice by the bucket, but they take advice by the grain. I've, I, I experienced this a lot as when I played football as a New Orleans Saint for a few years, won a Super Bowl, had a fantastic time there, and God absolutely blessed me, gave me a platform. But as a football player, when you're on the field, the most advice givers that you have at one time are in the stadium football fans, okay? (laughs) They give advice by the bucket from the seats. Let me just say, they are giving advice. Run, run. I'm trying to. I'm on the field going, I'm trying to. Do you see me running right now? I'm doing the best I can. Get him, get him. I'm like, I'm going and tackling him. I'm trying to go and tackle him. Do you think I'm not trying? You know, and they're giving advice by the bucket. Go, throw, catch, catch the ball. Why can't you catch the ball? You know, like they could even, and this is coming from someone who just grabbed a hot dog and Coke and went up to the top aisle and could barely huffing and puffing sit down at their seat because they were so exhausted. Yet they're telling me to run faster. And there's 80,000 fans telling you to run faster. And these are people who could barely make it to their seats without losing their wind and losing their breath. How many agree with me this morning that not all advice is created equal? It's just not. The source it comes from, it matters. It matters. And so what if you could sit down today with someone that is at the pinnacle of their career? The baby is somewhere where you could be or you want to be, or maybe who you think has everything. Maybe you sit down this morning and you could ask a question to a Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos of Amazon or Elon Musk. These people who are pinnacle of career have everything they could ever want. Nothing matters to them monetarily. They could get whatever they want. And you could ask them this question. You could ask them, what is the one piece of advice the most important thing above all else that you could give me? What if you could sit down with them and ask that advice? Because that advice might be good advice for you to follow, especially if you want to be in their shoes one day, if you're going after things like that. 
Well, today we get to ask that question. And this morning we get to dialogue about the most important thing above all else. And it's from someone who actually has had more money than Bill or Jeff or Elon put together. That there was more knowledge. This person had more knowledge than the person who invented electricity or, or invented the automobile. That he has more Wisdom than anyone in the entire earth except for Jesus himself, the son of God. And this is from someone, listen to me, who had more money, more power, more wisdom, more wives than anyone else. He had it all. Yet he was asked a question, what is the most important advice that you could give? And it came from someone named King Solomon. Now he's in the Bible this morning and he is someone who has all the wisdom that he has everything. And he wrote the book of Proverbs among other books and Psalms in the Bible. And he wrote the book of Proverbs 31 chapters as axioms or uh, phrases in order for you to live, reign, rule, and thrive in life. This morning, I think a lot of us here are keeping our heads above water and we're surviving in life. We're not thriving in life. We need wisdom. And he wrote these 31 chapters, he wrote these things down to give not just to his sons, his daughters, but to the next generation. And this morning, we get to hear, listen to me, we get to sit down with the most wise person who ever walked the earth outside of Jesus, and we get to ask him, what is the one most important thing above all else, piece of advice that you could give us? Because if you're like me, Reading 31 chapters in Proverbs, you're going, that just sounds like a lot. Like 31 and there's multiple verses in all of them. I'm never going to remember that. If you're like me, maybe in school, uh, and this might be a little old school, this is before the internet, but I wasn't a very good reader and I didn't like to read. And so um, I would look at a book that was kind of this thick, you know, it's thick as my Bible. And then they had something as a yellow booklet called Cliff Notes. How many remember those? Come on, somebody. And it's like, which one do I want to read? Duh. You know? And you get the highlights, you get the main point of it with Without having to go through all the other stuff. Well, we get to sit down with Solomon this morning and we get to ask him what's most important. What are the cliff notes? Give me the one cliff note of Proverbs. That if you could tell me, focus on one thing, not 31,000 things, one thing, what would that be? And we get to sit down with Solomon this morning and he writes it in Proverbs chapter 4. And here's what he says, and I want you to picture this. You're sitting down across the table from Solomon, and you're asking him these things. And here's how he starts off in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. Here's what it says. It says, listen carefully, my dear, dear child, to everything that I teach you. Pause. Solomon is saying this, before I give you this one piece of advice, don't disregard the other thousands of great advice that's in here. He's going, this is going to be the most important, but it doesn't neglect everything that I tell you to do. And so as a good father does, he just goes, I want to let you know, just because I tell you this one thing doesn't mean just focus on this. I'm just telling you what is priority. So he said, everything that I teach you. And then he said, pay close attention to all that I have to say. 
Fill your thoughts with my words until they penetrate deep into your spirit. Then as you unwrap my words, as you begin to do the words, as you begin to live it out, to apply this word to your life, here's what it says. They will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. So listen here. Then he takes a breath. And in Proverbs 4.23, he gives us the number one single biggest verse, I believe, the most important advice that Solomon gives us in this entire book. Here's what he says. So above all, he's saying most important. There's no other thing that is more important than this one thing. Guard the affections of your heart. For they affect all that you are. And pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. Solomon is saying, I want you to show priority. It's not, hey, sometimes pay attention to your heart. Or when you get around to it, he's saying the most important thing that you have is your heart. You need to guard the affections of your heart. Why the heart? If you're like me, you're asking that question. Why the heart? Because, listen to me, don't miss this. This is probably the biggest thing. This is the biggest thing. Please don't miss this. Why the heart? Because you can't get life right if you have your heart wrong. You can't get life right if you have your heart wrong. We all know people, and we've probably done this before. I know I have. We've done the right things with the wrong heart. Right? It's like I tell my kids, obedience, listen to me, isn't just doing, doing something. It's having the heart, right heart while you're doing it. God does not want someone who's going, fine, God, you want me to go to church? I'll go to church. And you act like a child. And it says, be delighted when you come into the house of the Lord. It's, it's saying, I get to go to church. I don't have to go to church. I get to be with the body of Christ. I don't have to be with the body of Christ. You're not checking off a box. You're coming to get life and life abundantly through Jesus. You're not coming to hear music or people speak. You're coming to have fellowship and community with one another. And so this is so important. This is so important of what Solomon is saying because your heart must work for your life to work. He wants us to work on our heart. So what is Solomon telling us then? I'm gonna give you three things this morning and then we'll close. It's not gonna be quick. I'm just gonna warn you right now. It's not gonna be quick, but I'm gonna give you three things and then we're gonna close. What is Solomon telling us? Number one, write this down. He's telling us your heart is visible. Your heart is visible. Did you know the Bible speaks of your heart, the heart, over a thousand times in this book. 66 books, a thousand times. When I, as a father, tell my kids multiple times, it means it's very important. If I tell my kids a thousand times, it means it's very, 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 very important. So it's visible to us. And God shows that through his word by using it so many times. Why? Because the, your heart is the core of your very being. 
It's the core of your very being. It's where all your emotions and desires and your passions live. And though those things in your heart sometimes are are unseen, listen to me here, it will and does determine those things that are seen. Even though the emotions and passions and desires in your heart might be unseen, I'm going to say it again, it will and does determine what is seen. That's why your heart is visible and God knew it. It works from the inside out, not the outside in. And the affections of your heart eventually show what you stand for. How how many of you have heard the phrase, or maybe you've been called this before, there's been a phrase that you have heard or called somebody else that says, you know, you wear your heart on your sleeve. How many have heard that? How many know that just means you you show your emotions? People say that about me. I wear my heart on my sleeve, meaning I go all out. I'm I'm emotional. Um, Are you a crier, Pastor Chris? Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Do you, I laugh, I cry, I show my emotions. You can't, I mean, I'm I'm not a very good faker and I'm thankful to God for that. I'm not a very good faker. I, I just, I wear my heart on my sleeve. And I was looking at that, that, that kind of phrase and I was doing some research on it the other day. And I'm not sure if you know this, but that phrase, you wear your heart on your sleeve actually comes um, from medieval times. And it comes from medieval sporting event called jousting, you know, where you get on a horseback and you, you, you hold the big long pole and you try to knock each other off the horse. It sounds really dumb, honestly. <laughs> but they did that and they wore armors and there was knights. And these knights, before they would go jousting, they would tie a ribbon or a scarf or something on their, the armor of their sleeve right here. And it, w- it would be the scarf or the ribbon or some sort of token for the lady that they loved, Okay. And it would, they would wear their heart on their sleeve to show everybody that they have affections for that lady. And, and it would also show, it would, men would also show it because they wanted to win for that lady. I'm winning for my lady right here. So men, don't go home and tie your, your, your you know, wife's scarf around your arm or dress. It's just weird. Don't be weird like that, okay? Don't go, I'm winning for you at work. It's like, no one, don't do that. But they did that back then because this, these knights wanted you to know where their heart was. It was visible for people to see. It was visible that what was inside comes outside. It's not the outside goes inside. It's the inside comes outside. And that is huge for us because Proverbs 27, 19, Solomon comes back to it and he says this, as a face is reflected in the water, and we got a lot of water here in Louisiana. Come on, somebody. As a face is reflected in the water, so the heart reflects the real person. It's not the person reflects the heart. It's the heart actually reflects the person. Some of you have experienced this when you've gone on dates, right? Come on, if you're dating or you've been on dates or you dated before, uh, before your spouse and you've been on dates and you're like, he's a cute guy. It was a good first date. He's, I could see somebody, I could see myself marrying him, you know, and you're getting all excited. Then the second date you're sitting in traffic and like he's honking the horn and cussing and you're like, nope, I ain't marrying him. Uh-uh. Right? The real person came out. And you could see the heart. It was visible. And you're going, I don't even like that heart. Because I'm seeing what you stand for and really who you are. Your heart is reflecting you. You don't reflect your heart. And so it's really big. It's really big that we see this. Because listen to me. Judas was, was the same way. 
Now, I hope nobody in here is named Judas because then you're named after the betrayer, right? We don't hear that name a lot other than in the Bible. And he was a betrayer of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples that walk with Jesus, talk with Jesus. And can you imagine this? He was close with Jesus. He, he saw every miracle, every word he spoke. He was with the other 11. He was part of the 12. He was part of that circle. And he walked with them, talked with them, slept next to him, ate with him. Every part of it, he heard everything. Listen to me. You can think you're close to Jesus and still be so far from him. You can be next to Jesus and hearing all those things and still be so far from him. Why? Because his heart was wrong. He was more about money than he was about the man of God who was with him. He was more worried about money. And we all know the story. What ended up happening? He sold Jesus out for money. And it reflected the real man came out. It reflected what was actually in his heart. I tell my kids this all the time. I know exactly where your heart is at all times. I have five beautiful kids, ages nine. I'm gonna get this right. Nine, eight, six, five, and two. Y'all continue to pray for me, please, okay? <laughs> but I tell them all the time, I know exactly where your heart is. Well, daddy, how do you know where my heart is? I know when your heart is good and not good. How do you know? Because the Bible says your, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So, so how do I know where my heart is? Just listen to the words you speak. Parents, if you want to know where your kid's heart, listen to the words they speak. That's why in my house, the biggest thing that I correct with my kids is what comes out of their mouth. Because if I can see that, I can steward their hearts. As a parent, I am not called to make my kids good. I'm called to steward their heart. And I want to know what comes out of their mouth. Because Jesus spoke it. Here's what he says. He says, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure in the heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Meaning this, what is inside a person will determine what comes out of that person. In other words, the health of our hearts will determine the health of our behavior. So Pastor Chris, how do I see the health of my heart? Number one, let me say this. Let me help you. We are terrible. Everybody in this room, we are terrible at self-assessment. Amen. Some of us think we're better than we are and you're not that good. Some of us think you're worse than you are. You're not that bad. We're, we're terrible. So Pastor Chris, what do I need to do? I'm going to give you something very simple, yet very bold to do. Ask. Not just anyone. You need to ask a godly, trusted person. And here's what you ask them. Hey, what do you see out of my behavior that shows my heart? Where do you think my heart is at? And then watch this. Don't just ask it, but receive what they say. And probably second and most important, don't just ask a friend, a trusted friend, but can I just tell you, ask God. Ask God. One of the verses that I pray almost every day that I quote over myself, over my family, that I need God to know, to see, to examine my heart because I can't see it very well. And here's what I quote almost every day, Proverbs 139. 
and says this, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through and find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put to the test and sift through all my anxious cares and see if there is any path of pain that I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting way, the path that brings me back to you. Examine my heart, God, because my heart is visible. My heart is visible. And when I see it and God reveals it, watch this. This is so big. We don't just go, okay. We repent of it and we turn back to God and go, God, I've messed up. I've messed up. My heart is so visible and it's not in a good place. Only you can put my heart in a good place, God. I can't. And we yield it and we turn back to him in surrender because our heart is visible. The second thing, you can write this down. The second thing that Solomon is saying, not just your heart is visible, he's saying your heart is vulnerable. Your heart is vulnerable. Well, Pastor Chris, what is my heart vulnerable to? Let me just say almost everything. Especially our heart is vulnerable to bad NFC championship ref calls that cost us (laughs) Super Bowls. All right? 2019 creeping back up on us right there. You see, Solomon is saying, guard the affections of our hearts because the heart can become attached, listen to this, in unhealthy ways to many things. And so he's saying, guard the affections, those things that draw you in, that you draw into your heart. Guard against that because your heart is vulnerable. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the one thing, listen here, that is with us wherever we go, that has all the answers, that hears us, speaks to us in our time of need, that directs us and guides us and is there when we lie down, when we wake up and that lights a path in the darkness, it is? No, it's our phones. We all know that. (laughs) Guys, you think you're way spiritual than you are, okay? It's our phones. I bait people every time with that. Thank you for playing along. But think about it. It's with us wherever we go. It is. I mean, let's just be honest. It's with me wherever I go. My, My phone is with me wherever I go. It has all the answers. I can click in anything and have all the answers right here. At, the, at, the, my, at my fingertips, it is like, I got the answers right here. It can hear me when I speak to it and it speaks to me. Think about this. It's, it's there in our time of need. It directs and it guides me because I have no sense of direction. So I need this to guide me. It's there when I lie down by my bedside, when I wake up right there. It lights a path because sometimes you can't see your way to the bathroom in the middle of the night. Listen to me. Phones are not evil. Technology and possessions are not evil. But listen to me. Our hearts are vulnerable to the things that we have access to within our phones. I'm not, listen to me, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that all technology is evil and it's of the devil. That's not me. I love technology, it makes life easier in so many ways. But it does open us up and makes our hearts vulnerable to that which can attach to us and our hearts very easily. I've seen this. I've seen it when people crack or leave their phones or whatever, and they're literally crying. I mean, some of y'all, you know, you know you. 
You know what you're saying. You leave your phone at home and you're going, what do I do? If, what if I get, what if I'm on the side of the road? How do I even get out of this? You know, my wife and I were, were, were going to dinner the, the other night and we were just, my wife looked at me and she goes, what did our parents do with babysitters when they left us going out on date nights? And I said, they had to ask them to call the restaurant if they wanted us to get in hold. How many remember that? Call the restaurant. We don't have to do that. Now we freak out when we're like, my phone is messed up. Oh my gosh. It's like, I've seen teenagers. I'm telling you, when I was a youth pastor at camp, they would drop it in a big, you know, box. They would drop it for the whole week at high school camp. And they would be shaking when they drop it off. Literally, I mean, they're just like, what do you mean? I, I don't get it. When do I get it back? Do I get to like, what about at night? I need it at night in order to contact so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. And, and we're like, no, you don't need it. And they're like, I don't know what to do. And they're literally, tears are coming to their eyes. Their hands are shaking because they, they're withdrawing. Why? Because it's attached to their hearts. And then at the end of the week, here's what ends up happening. You realize how unhealthy that emotional tie and attachment is to that possession. And I'm telling you right now, 99% of them go, I don't even want this back. I know what it does to me. I don't need this. Listen to me. Possessions are not bad, but possessions were never meant to possess us. And that could be anything, house, car, clothes, anything that draws your affections. Why? Because our hearts are vulnerable and it becomes idol worship. Now, you might be going, Pastor Chris, you're talking about idols. I don't set up my phone at my house and worship it and bow down and pray to it. I know it's not my God. Listen to me. An idol is anything that replaces the spot where God is supposed to be. It doesn't have to be a wooden figure that you bow down and worship. It's anything that has an attachment to you where God is supposed to have that. If you cry more about your phone being broken, listen to me, than your neighbor's heart going to hell if they don't know Jesus, something is wrong. The attachment is off. And your heart is vulnerable to what is it is exposed to. It's why God made the first commandment. You should have no other gods before me. He was making it very clear. I want you to have homes. I want you to have cars and clothes. I want you to have possessions. Nothing wrong with that. I'm going to give you the land, he told the Israelites. I'm going to give you a land flowing with milk and honey. But I don't know why that was appealing, but it was appealing to them. I'm going to have a land flowing with milk and honey, and you're going to have everything you need. But just make sure you don't put your possessions in placement where I'm supposed to be. And they messed up time and time again. This old, most of the Old Testament is about the Israelites, the people of God going, we love you, you're great. And then going, wait, we need a God we can hear, touch, feel, taste, smell. And that's not the God. I'm, I'm gonna create my own out of gold or jewels or wood. And then I'm gonna worship that. And God goes, really? Really? I told you to put no other gods before me. And as a good father does, he disciplines his children to get them right back on the same path. And so he goes, fine, I gotta give you over to these people so you can become slaves. So he gives them over to these people to be slaves and they're like, we need you, God. We cry out to you. You're our one true God. We repent. And he goes, I'll save you. And then they go and he saves them out of that slavery, brings them back into a great land and they go, thank you, God, we love you. And then all of a sudden, the cycle repeats itself. The whole book of Judges is about the rise and fall, listen to me, of the people of God. They could never, listen to me, 
they could never guard the affections of their hearts properly. Because they wanted to put in place of God, they wanted to put possessions. It's not just an Old Testament thing, it's a New Testament thing too. Listen to what John says in 1 John chapter 5. It says, little children, believers, dear one, guard yourselves from idols. What are idols? The Amplified Version says false teachings, more compromises, and anything that would take God's place in your heart. That's why Jesus said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he said heart first. And Solomon echoes what God is saying. Guard the affections of your heart because they are vulnerable. But our hearts are not just vulnerable to possessions. But listen to me. Some of y'all have been waiting for this. Our hearts are also vulnerable, not just to possessions, but also to people. Okay. For many of us in here, we hear this verse read, guard the, affection, guard the affections of your heart or guard your heart. And immediately, listen to me, someone came to your mind. Might have been a so-called friend, coworker, family member. And listen to me, what we do is we use this word to push people away. That is not the gospel. And what we end up doing is we end up getting hurt and we've all been hurt by people and we end up building fences all around us so no one can touch us or ever hurt us again. Won't do that again. Won't go near here again. He hurt me. I'll never let him in or anyone who even has a mustache because mustache people are weird, you know, or any whatever. You just label, begin to label everything and you're putting fences up everywhere. And what you don't realize is as you put up fences, yeah, you're blocking out all the bad, but you're never letting in any good. You become a prisoner of your own making. And you, people use this verse, Proverbs 4.23, to say, see, I need to guard myself against you. Some of you, listen to me, it's true. You need to guard your, your heart against some people who are doing you wrong. Absolutely. But life, listen to me, Dr. Henry Cloud says this, life is about gates and fences. You can't have all fences up because you become trapped. Some of you, you can't have all gates up. You let anyone, everyone in. You're like, hey, come on in. Yeah, you want to know about me? Here's my life. And you let everyone in and they hurt you. And you're like, why do I keep getting hurt? It's because you keep letting everyone into your life. Some of you are letting your in-laws control your marriage. And you're going, oh gosh. Oh, why? Because you don't put up any fences, no boundaries. Listen to this. This is so big. Listen to what this is. Gates let the right people in. Fences keep the wrong people out. There are wrong people that you need to keep out, but there are right people you need to let in. We don't need to put our heart in a box when we say guard it. It's not this like, oh no, oh no. It's a protection. Listen to me. It's a protective stance that knows when to let things in and when to pull things out. But listen to me. When you put your heart out there, it will get hurt. But don't label all your hurt upon everybody else. Because listen to this. This is so good. 
Guard your heart does not mean protect yourself from getting hurt at all cost. Guard your heart means protect your heart from sin at all cost. And though people might be sinful, not people are not sin. I'm going to say that again. People, we, myself, everyone here might be sinful, but we're not sin. And that is a huge distinction to allow the right people in, small groups, discipleship, even people that you're unsure of that you go, God, I feel like you're asking me to trust them. You let them in because the goodness of God comes in with people. God uses broken vessels like me and you to give solutions. So if you push people out, you're gonna push God out. But we need fences to go, you're not healthy for me. You're not healthy for my heart and I need to set up boundaries and fences to be able to say, I can't can't be around that. I can't do that. Some of you, um, I didn't say this in the last, I'm gonna say it here. Some of you have Facebook relationships that you keep thinking is a real relationship. It's not. And what you're being fed is fake news. It's propaganda that is draining and killing your heart. I'm not saying all social media is evil. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying the people on the site are broken. And now I'm getting my source of information from people that are broken, that have an agenda. Absolutely not. This is my agenda. The word of God is going to guide me wherever I go. It's going to be my light into my path. I won't attach my heart because I know my heart is vulnerable. I want to attach it to the word of God and let that be the foundation and litmus test for everything moving forward. Why? Because my heart is vulnerable. I'm going to guard against the affections of my heart. We need gates and we need fences to help us. And number three, here's where we're going to close this morning is your heart's not just visible, your heart's not just vulnerable, your heart is valuable. Your heart is valuable. You know, I think it's interesting. You know, when I I take my trash out to the curb, whatever trash can that you have, green, blue, whatever color it is, you take your trash can out and the night before, you put all your trash in it and you put it out by the curb because you know the garbage truck's gonna come by, the garbage man's coming by to pick it up in the morning. And I don't know about you, but I've never once laid my head down on a pillow and thought to myself, man, I really hope no one steals my garbage, my trash can. (laughs) I'm just so worried about it. It's just, it's green. It's wonderful. It's beautiful on the outside. Just hope no one steals it. Listen to me. If you want to come steal my trash, I will gladly give it to you. I got five kids and nasty, so you could take it all. I've never once done that. Maybe you have. Maybe you've worried about that. But the reason that I don't lay my head on a pillow and wonder if it's going to be there when I get up is because it's trash. It's garbage. Listen to me. You don't guard things that are worthless. You only guard things that are valuable. Now compare a garbage can to my Super Bowl ring. And we got another story. Why? Because one is way more valuable than the other. Not just monetarily, but sentimentally towards me. It's way more valuable. You only guard the things that are worth guarding, that are valuable. It is so big. Listen to me. This is so huge. It's so huge that we see our heart as valuable. Why? Because the enemy knows 
1 Peter 2.9 better than you and I know it. Well, what's 1 Peter 2.9? Here's what it is. Here's what it says. But you are God's chosen treasure. You are God's chosen treasure. You are God's chosen treasure. Some of you need to let those words wash over you this morning. Because someone told you you are garbage. And it's not true. You're God's chosen treasure. You're valuable. You have worth. I'm not saying this to be some self-help guru to make you feel better. I'm just showing you truth. The enemy doesn't go after people that are worthless. He goes after people that are valuable. You're going, why is the enemy attacking me? Why do I feel like I'm always struggling? Why do I feel like? Because God knows, number one, you can handle it. And number two, the enemy knows you're worth it. That's why he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He does. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. The enemy knows this verse that you're God's treasure. The question is, do you? Guard your heart above all else. Why? Because it's valuable. It's the greatest treasure that we have. And the heart, listen to me, the heart houses our identity in Christ. What the enemy is trying to do is kill, steal, and destroy your heart. And if your heart houses your identity, he's going to try to tear down your identity. With our young people today, listen to me. There is such an identity crisis in our young people today. They're making it, listen to me, they're making it out to be a sexuality issue. It's not. It's an identity issue. They don't know who they are, so they're trying to figure out if I go this route, maybe that will be me. No, this is me. And they self-define and they label themselves. And the enemy is laughing all the while because he's going, you're treating yourself in a way that is absolutely worthless. And the enemy's laughing. And God is crying because he goes, you're supposed to be my treasure. Your heart is that valuable. Your heart is that valuable. And this is not how I created you. Your heart is valuable. It's why I tell my kids, you can call it brainwashing, call it whatever you want. I'm fine with what people want to call it. But about the age of three, actually, I'm starting with my youngest one at about two. I ask them, I teach them answers to two questions. Number one, here's what I ask them. Who created you? I don't want them to ever forget that they were created by God. And they know the answer. They're like, God. But then we don't stop there because that's just an answer. And I say, why did he create you? You want to know what the greatest question that people are trying to answer is, why did God create me? And you begin to throw yourself into work. You're not guarding your heart. You attach yourself to boats and fishing and hunting. You're not guarding your heart. You attach yourself to people. You're not guarding your heart. And my kids know exactly who created them, God, and why he created them. And here's their answer for his glory. He doesn't need the glory. He deserves the glory. And if they have that foundation right there, anything else that tries to come against it, I'm believing in the name of Jesus, they will measure up against that. Say, that's not, 
That doesn't glorify God. That doesn't glorify God. That doesn't glorify God. Because the enemy is coming to steal your heart. He's coming to steal your heart. And as a pastor, can I just be very honest? I've seen this all too often. I counsel this all too often. And it tears me apart. I'll never forget a conversation that I had with a 15-year-old girl about five years ago. I was a youth pastor at the time over at the Lafayette campus. And we had a huge student event, kind of like the church camp we just had and the conference we just had. And it was just hundreds of kids packing the place. And it was awesome. And God was moving and the Holy Spirit was moving and it was wonderful. And, and then the service ends and we go out into the lobby and we're talking and greeting. And I'm just kind of gathering everybody together, high-fiving everybody and just loving on them. And I walk outside of Lafayette campus in the breezeway and I begin walking down the way and I see a 15-year-old girl and she's sitting on a bench by herself. And as I walk past her, I feel the Holy Spirit say, go talk to her. So I walk up to her and I just go, hey, how are you? I'm Pastor Chris, what's your name? And she tells me her name. And I just said, hey, tell me your story. I just said, tell, tell me your story. She puts her head down, 15 years old. She said, Pastor Chris, um, right now I'm on my eighth foster home. Don't know if I'll stay here. She said, when I was really little as a baby, my parents dropped me off at my aunt's and uncle's house. And for the next five years, they began to abuse me physically, emotionally, spiritually. They didn't want me, so they passed me to more family members. I jumped to four or five family members before, before they gave me over to the foster care system. When I got in there, she said, Pastor Chris, like I said, I'm on my eighth family right now. And can I just tell you, she looked at me, and as a father, I heard these next words, and it, it cut to the core of me. I'll never forget the way her face looked when she said these words. And gosh, it hurt me so bad. She looked at me and she said, Pastor Chris, I feel like an accident. A 15-year-old girl looking at me saying she feels like she was a mistake from God. And everything in my being wanted to rebuke it all. I wanted to go and just slay that enemy that was trying to kill, steal, and destroy her identity and her heart. And I looked at her and I just said, let me tell you, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry you went through all that. God loves you. He has a great plan for you. And I said, but there are two things I feel like God wants you to know. Number one, you were created in his image, which means this. You have the thumbprint of God upon your heart and your life, and it is amazing. You're created to do great works in his image, the, the, the creator of the universe of all that we see has said, I'm creating you. Glory. And I said, the second thing that I know that you have value and that you're not worthless or you're not an accident is that God paid the highest price possible for you. When he sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to say, you can't pay your own debts for your sins, I'll pay it for you. This is how much I love you. That as the scripture says that while we were still sinning and sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. 
You don't, listen to me, you don't show the value of something by what the price tag says. You show the value of something by what someone is willing to pay for it. And for you and you and you and everyone in this room, including myself, listen to me. God prayed the highest price possible. He said, you're worth it. The gospel may not be, listen to me, the gospel may not be about you and me. It's about Jesus and his kingship. But listen to me, the gospel is for you and me. So we can begin to discover really what our worth is and how sin has torn us down. But God says, I'm coming to build you back up. This is not self-help. This is truth. And you need to hear this truth this morning that you are valuable. You aren't worthless. I don't care what that coach said or that teacher said when you were in third grade. You're not worthless. You have value. And I'll show you. Because on the cross, he said it is finished. It's finished for you and you and you and me. It's finished. I paid your debts. But what I love about God, the father of the most, is this. He doesn't just take away our sins. Listen to me. He gives us something in return. Isn't that so cool? That God is a God that doesn't just go, I'm gonna take away your sins. Let me put Jesus on the cross. We all see that. We see that every day, depending on what your religious background was. You saw it every day. I saw it every day. Jesus on the cross, but Jesus didn't stay on the cross. He went to the tomb. And when he went to the tomb, he remained dead, but he did something on the third day where he rose from the dead, not just so he could have life. Well, watch this, so we could have life. So watch this. So when you accept Jesus and you're born again, you don't just get your sins washed. It's called the great exchange. What am I exchanging? Listen to me. This is so big. Don't miss this. You're exchanging not your behavior. You're not exchanging your good deeds or your bad deeds. Listen to me. You're exchanging your heart. It's what Ezekiel said. Listen to this. Thousands of years before Jesus came, and died. Ezekiel says this. It says, God, I, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. And I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. He's saying, I'm not interested in how good of a behavior you can have. I'm interested in how soft your heart can be for my word. That if you want to make an exchange, listen to me, if you want to make an exchange from your stony heart for my fleshly heart, I'll give it to you. You just have to be willing to receive it. Just believe it and receive it. Because the most important question you can answer in your life is not, am I going to heaven or hell or am I a Christian? Listen to me, listen to me. It's not, have I been to church? It's not, hey, am I good enough? That's, those, are, those are all great questions, but it's not the most important. The most important question you can answer is this, have I been born again? I didn't ask you what denomination you were or if you were a church member. I didn't ask you if you prayed regularly. I did not... I asked you, have you been born again? Why? Because Jesus said in order for you to enter in or even see the kingdom of heaven, to receive a new heart, you must be born again. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? You're valuable. You're worth it. 
For some of you here this morning, you needed to hear that. You need that to wash over you. And I'm praying for repentance. I'm praying for restoration and redemption. That God would restore the value by you giving thanks, being grateful, and opening your eyes to the value he has for you through the cross. And for some of you in here, you just need to take the first step. And that's being born again. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. The prayer doesn't save you or make you born again. It's your faith that does it, the Bible says. That the glory and the grace of God is all that we have to do is believe and receive. We say it's as simple as A, B, C. A, we admit we're sinners in need of a Savior. B, believe that what Jesus did on the cross was enough to cover our past, present, and even our future sins. And see, we confess him as Savior. He saved us from our sins. But now he is Lord also over our entire life. Today, you can make that decision. You can make that declaration if you haven't. I remember when I was born again. It only happens once. It was in August of 2001 when I gave my life to Jesus. I made the great exchange. I didn't become a perfect person. I just became a spiritually alive person. And I began to have a relationship with Jesus where I walked with him and talked with him. It's not about religion or rules or regulations. It's always and will always be about a relationship with your heavenly father. And it only comes through Jesus and through being born again. And in a second, I'm gonna pray the born again prayer. And if that's you in here saying, Pastor Chris, include me in that born again prayer. I don't wanna embarrass you. I would never want to embarrass you. But I'm gonna ask you to do something bold with all heads bowed, all eyes closed. I'm the only one looking. If you're going, Pastor Chris, just include me in that born again prayer. On the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you just to raise your hand, wave it at me, and you can put it right back down. And by doing that, you're just saying, include me in that born again prayer. One, God brought you here for a reason. It's not an accident that you're here today. Two, he's calling you home. Three, I want you to raise your hand now and just wave it at me. I see you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome, thank you. Thank you, you can put your hands down, awesome. Last 10 seconds, if you raised it once, you don't never have to do it again. But if you're here this morning going, Pastor Chris, I should have raised my hand. I want you to do it now. Anyone else? Anyone else? Awesome, thank you. Well, church, with all those hands that were raised this morning, we're gonna say this prayer together as a church family to declare our lives are changed forever through Jesus. Repeat after me, dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, my guilt, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me. So I would not have to go and rose on the third day to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Say this with me. God is my father. Jesus is my helper. Excuse me. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name.